free your soul up a bit. This is the Perfectly Imperfect Podcast with Regina and Christine, where we share our stories as women openly and honestly. We believe it's through our journeys, our happy and sad times that connect us as sisters, because we're all perfectly imperfect. Hi, and welcome back to Perfectly Imperfect. I am Christine. And I'm Regina. We apologize for missing our regularly scheduled episode. I've been having some family matters that I've been attending to. And I think feeling overwhelmed overall, as I think many of us are. And so I kind of needed that week. And Christine and I were actually able to talk through a lot of stuff with our hip team too about, you know, everything that's happening in the world right now. So yeah, we're actually really, really looking forward to this topic this week because it's something that I think has weighed really, really heavily on all of our minds. And we just wanted to kind of have an open and honest discussion as we always do here on Perfectly Imperfect and kind of dive into, you know, our honest feelings of what's going on right now. Right. We've been doing a lot of catching up in terms of reading, educating ourselves, and just the day-to-day, because so much has happened here in America since George Floyd was murdered and the protesting, you know, it's in our own cities. And we also even had curfews in our cities. So it really was a day-to-day thing. The goal of today's conversation is to be real and authentic. And, you know, I'm just going to say we probably will not say things the right way. We might say things incorrectly. And, you know, the point of this conversation really for us is to start having these conversations out loud and with other people so that we can collectively share in what we're learning, how we're growing. And I think that really is the key to us advancing and progressing towards anti-racism. And anti-racism, you know, is being talked a lot now, understandably, but really trying to understand it and all the nuances that come with it. And I know not being Black, I just was not aware but also aware, but honestly not putting the efforts or actions Mm -hmm. to really care, you know? And I hate to say that, and it sounds so shitty, but when I did a lot of self-reflecting the first week, and Regina and I had many, many conversations. Oh my goodness, yeah. And you kind of go through this process of just like feeling, of course, outraged. Regina said it was like a visceral reaction. Mm -hmm. And then for me, just feeling really upset, ashamed of myself. There's so much shame and guilt wanting to almost in a sense catch up and consume everything as almost like, oh my God, what have I been doing? I'm just as complicit as the cop that killed and murdered George Floyd by putting his knee on his neck, you know? As much as we don't want to say like, oh, we're not racist like that. We don't hate Black people. We don't hate other people. However, by not saying anything, not checking our privileges, not admitting a lot of ways that we've benefited from this inequality to our black brothers and sisters. And I say that in a way where it sounds almost inauthentic because like, I feel embarrassed to have to say that because I haven't done the work. There's a lot of confliction. There has been, but the more that I've been reading and educating myself and hearing real stories from real black experiences, the more that it's just so much clear and that it's good to process those emotions but then there's so much work to be done. You know, it's kind of going through the process of realizing all of that. And we still are because there's so much more to learn and uncover and discover and come to terms with. However, with that momentum and feeling that like 
you really see the injustice and you really before I think the big difference for me was seeing and maybe not in blatant racist terms like ugh, I don't want to associate with black people is more of like there were real subtle ways that we did see them as separate as other mm-hmm. I mean we also do that with other races but then I think especially with black people and that's the part yeah. where you know being able to remove the other and see us as together really are talking about equality what does that really mean So yeah, what about you, Regina? Yeah, I was honestly so overwhelmed. Uh, I think at this point in time, it's been about two and a half weeks since George Floyd was murdered. And that weekend, all the rioting and looting happened. And I think that having the COVID pandemic on top of everything going on, like it was just like, a thunderstorm, not even a thunderstorm, like a hurricane, you know, and everything was just piling on top of one another. And I was so overwhelmed. One, yes, in everything that you were saying, you know, the guilt that I felt feeling like I didn't do enough research. Like, you know, I kind of felt like that friend, you know, who's like, oh, well, I have black friends, you know, Mm -hmm. so that makes me not racist or, you know, like not really truly seeing the actual injustices that are happening and just kind of deflecting it and being like, well, I'm not racist person and I don't play into that racism because I have black friends or, you know, because like I've had these conversations about race with black people. So that makes me not racist. But I think that what I began to realize is that being an Asian American in so many ways America's system was built for me to succeed. And there were so many things that because of my race, because of my looks and my appearance, I was able to get and obtain in a semi-easy way. Like I wasn't looked down upon. I mean, I think that it wasn't until college when I really first experienced racism and that lit a fire in me. I was furious and angry. And I think that that was my first time being like, wow, this is my first time being discriminated against. I hate it. This is like a horrible feeling. But to really take myself outside of the picture and think like, wow, I didn't experience that until I was 18, 19, when so many Black people experienced that from a really young age and just are constantly being taught that by their parents, like that really made me check my privilege. You know, I think that my cousin and I have this conversation all the time where it's like, oh, I hate the question. Like, where are you from? And, you know, oh no, no, but where are you really from? You know, like those are things that we always talked about that really bothered us. But at the end of the day, it's not the same injustices that are happening to African-Americans in general. And so I think that it was a lot of working through like, okay, if I really want to be an ally, what does that mean? Mm. And, you know, how do I go and understand this 400 year legacy of African-Americans being discriminated against? How do I do my part and play my role? And yeah, exactly what you were saying, like bring that other into the togetherness. I think that that was definitely a huge wake up call. And, and since then, you know, even within our PIP team, like we've just been texting each other constantly, sending each other articles and really like informing one another. And I think that it's been very, very eye opening to kind of learn all the little ways that we have been able to benefit from the system that really work against them. Right, right. And it really first started because when George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and I mean, there's just endless names, right? Michael Brown, it's gone on 
too long. For more, for longer than even 400 years. I mean, 400 since slavery, but then even before that, in the 1500s, was this idea, this conception of race hierarchy based off of nothing. So I started reading the book, Stamp from the Beginning, and I really wanted to get into, like, where did this come from? Like, how do we get here? How we got here was based off of nothing, just straight out bullshit, just pure ignorance and no education. So they're just attaching any type of meaning. So they're just like, oh, because of climate that their skins are so black, which makes them not as smart, makes them dumb, makes them more animal-like. They live in the wild. So then they start attaching meaning to stuff that had no meaning at all, right? And thus became the conception, just some stupid, stupid, really racist idea that has held on for this long. And now Mm -hmm. we are living the consequences. And it's been life or death for the Black community since then, based off of nothing other than this notion. Now they've gotten so good at it and reinventing. And when I say they, it's not just white people, but it's just the powers and the people that benefit from all of this, which is capitalism, from government, from the higher ups. They've gotten so good at disguising what it actually is, which is always about that you're not as good as us just because we want to feel superior. And we benefit from it. Because if someone is better than you, then they will benefit from that. And they've gotten good in being profitable from it. So that now they've bled into our subconscious as just normal Americans and also just the world that Black people is just inferior. And that there's this common notion that they're just lazy. Like they have brought it upon themselves, but never recognizing that it's a systemic issue, right? It's something that they created for this and continue to reinvent through policies, through government, through police brutality. Basically, all of this just to say that where we are now and how it's helped me really think about what in my daily life has contributed to this unacknowledged racism. Mm -hmm. That's the part where it's so dangerous and toxic because that's where now people can remove themselves and feel angry. And I get that, but that's where we have to put in the work to educate ourselves. Because once you really hear, and you hear it in Black people's stories when they talk about teaching their kids at age four or five or maybe even younger on Mm -hmm. what not to do and what to do if a cop pulls you over or Mm -hmm if they see their parents getting pulled over or getting arrested, yeah, you know? And that fear instilled them having to operate by a whole different set of rules than everybody else. Yes. I mean, even now, I remember seeing a video a couple days ago of a Black family being pulled over and the little boy just started crying because the police officer was white. And the police officer then herself started crying. She's like, I'm not going to hurt you. You know, we're not all bad. And like that scenario in my head just... I couldn't comprehend it because from a very young age, you know, I've, I've talked about it before. My parents are very overprotective of me and they're always, you know, watching out for my safety because I'm an only child. I'm a girl and, you know, all the connotations that come with that. But they were always like, call the police if anything happens. They mm-hmm. will have your back. They will protect you. They will be there for you. And that was just always instilled in me. It never occurred to me that the people who were supposed to keep me safe, the people who were supposed to protect me could ever do me harm. 
it's still hard for us to turn that off because that's what we were taught. We were taught that this is a system that works for us as long as we, you know, follow the guidelines. Yes, we follow the rules. Exactly. But for so many Black Americans, that is just simply not true. And I think that that was really one of the most jarring things that occurred to me because I do remember talking to my friend who is Black. We were just having lunch and we were just chatting. And I remember one day she told me, you know, I'm really afraid that one day my brother is just going to get pulled over by the cops and that'll be it. You know, he likes to smoke weed. He has kind of crazy hair. He's a farmer. He's super hippie looking. And she's like, I fear every single day that my brother or my dad will get pulled over by the cops and that'll be it for no apparent reason. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how, you know, upper class they are, middle class they are, whatever, you know, social status, it doesn't matter. There is already that discrimination built in. Mm -hmm. And I remember having that talk with her and that was like such a painful thing for her to say, but that was also a huge reality check for me because I mean, I get nervous when I get pulled over by the cops, but it's by a completely different reason. It's because I don't want to get a ticket, not because this could be the end of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing where I really had to confront my racism when it came to Black people. Honestly, things like that, where if I watched on the news that a Black person was getting arrested, because we see images like that all the time on the media Mm -hmm. growing up and Mm -hmm. even now, right? Mm -hmm. And in my head, I would just be like, well, if they just cooperated, why are they fighting it? You know, or not even that. It's just like, you constantly see Black faces, Black men being arrested in handcuffs. So that's just the image that you see. So after a while, you're just in your head that it's just Black people. It's something it. wrong with Black people. Like they're the mm-hmm. ones that are what? Automatically assume they are already guilty, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's like drugs, gangs. Like that's where your mind goes to. Or that's where my mind went to. And not at all being informed about why that happens. You know what I mean? Like watch the 13th because it really Mm -hmm. explains how American policies and laws have made it legal for them to be racist. And when I say them, I say like cops and institutions and all of that. As in, I think it was through like the Clinton administration that they allowed. Search and frisk. Yeah, where they could basically just pull over anyone for any reason because you looked that way. I'm Mm going to pull you over or arrest Mm -hmm. you. And I think it was like three times as likely for black and brown people to get frisked. Yes. I remember my college roommate would tell me because she's lived in Sacramento and would drive down to, I believe it was like somewhere in Louisiana for like a family reunion every few years. And she said every single time they drove through Texas, they got pulled over. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, I have never experienced that. You know, like, can you imagine being in a car with your entire family and getting pulled over every single time you're in Texas? Yeah. Like, just for the color of your skin. They weren't doing anything wrong. They weren't doing anything wrong. It's not justified to get hassled like that and then potentially die from it, potentially get murdered from it. And then the worst part is there's no justice. Mm -hmm. There's no justice because the cops never get anything. Then the slap on a wrist is probably the most that they get, which is paid leave. The system that's supposed to give you justice from things like this, where it's unfair, unjustified, murder, and you can't do a thing about it. Yeah. And if anything, as a community, it constantly happens where it's like a collective fear where you know that you're being targeted, but also nobody believes you or very Mm -hmm. few people believe you because then what's happening is that then we go to, well, no, you guys are just like, just follow the rules. 
Be Mm -hmm. a model minority. Yeah. Why can't you be like the Asians? That was also like another conversation that I had with my parents recently about us being model minorities and the path in which Asian Americans immigrated here versus African Americans who were really enslaved and forced here. And just the differences in which that affects the way that we are viewed in society. Like a lot of Asian Americans were basically handpicked if you're well-educated or if you have money you are able to come to the United States. And because of that, there is a higher success rate for us to do well in America. And we're not as discriminated against. And there are all these factors that play into it too, that, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of white Americans are just Americans in general are like, oh, well, I'm not racist. Like, I love Asians. We were like their scapegoat. And we played into that. They say that, but then the Japanese internment camps happen even with COVID, yeah. how quickly racism just turned. Yeah, it's that quick. Yeah. You become the other, which is exactly what we want to talk about. Where we're like, we think like, you know, oh no, just we're accepted. We're all American and all of that. It's bullshit. We're not. We're different. The heart and soul as to why Black Lives Matters. This should have been eons ago. Is because if we have to say that and we haven't realized it, that the way that we've been treating Black people It is as their lives don't matter. Because if you really look at it from their point of view, we don't have to be white to be racist. That's something I told my dad, like literally the other day, you know? And I know there's all this like, oh, white people and whatever, because white people have been the majority and also America and all that, right? But that's Um, changing now. That's changing. So that's the part where it's like being able to dig in deeper and realizing black people, this is their everyday real experience. That how can we go on, especially here in America, living our everyday lives, benefiting from this while people are dying without getting any justice. They are starving because they have no food, because no one is prioritizing or listening to them. They are dying at a higher rate because their healthcare system is so poor that they're not able to get the care that they need. These are real situations. And also how they've been dying from being murdered by cops are just very normal things that say me and Regina don't even have to think twice about, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. walking around at night with a hoodie on, you know, mm-hmm. or touching stuff at a store and not being followed, thinking that we're stealing something that would lead to mm-hmm. having a cop being called. George Floyd paying with a $20 bill that was counterfeit, but who knew if he knew? It doesn't even matter. And then he died from that, you know, yeah. or having Skittles in your hand and you're getting lost and you're knocking on the door of neighborhoods that quote unquote, you're not supposed to be in. That's the thing. Like we as Asians able to live in any neighborhood that we wanted, our parents didn't have that. No, you can't live here. You know? So therefore we got good education. We had books, we had extracurricular activities that helped set us up for a better future, which now set us up for better careers, for better financial stability. We're able to get loans, all these things that we don't ever have to think twice about. Mm -hmm. And we know that we won't get questioned about it. And I think that that was also like a huge check of privilege on our part too, because the community that we grew up in slash like still reside in now is a very insular community that the Asian immigrants created themselves. In a way, I feel like 626 is almost like a sanctuary for Asians where there's so many of us that we outnumber everyone else that we've built our own community. We've built our own culture. We've built our own bubble. And I think for a lot of our parents who live in these communities, they don't really have to experience the outside world. I always tell people this who don't really know what 626 or this area is about. I'm always like, you can actually survive without speaking English. 
just yeah. your day-to-day life, you know? I'm so surprised how many Asian parents that I've come across <laughs> and they cannot speak English and they've been here for over 30 years. I'm like, yeah, how? <laughs> it's because they've built this community. And I say this all the time, but because of the way that this community is structured, they've kind of develop their own culture around it. Meaning that like, in a way they've almost become those like white privileged people because they don't actually have to experience what real America is like. In a way, having these conversations with our parents, especially those who live in very homogenous communities like the 626, they themselves don't see themselves as the immigrants and they think of themselves as Americans. And so that creates like a whole other identity crisis of what this issue means in their eyes. Because that tends to bleed into, well, if that's my experience, then I don't relate to anybody else's experience. And that means Mm -hmm. you kind of disregard or dismiss Mm -hmm. other people's struggles that did not start on the same starting line as you did, right? Mm -hmm. It's not fair. It can be hard to recognize because you're just, what people say is like, I've worked really hard. What are you talking about? I never got handed Mm -hmm. anything. That's not Mm -hmm. what we're talking about when it comes to checking your privilege, right? And even things like, to be real, the only reason why our parents are here is because of the Civil Rights Act. It's because Black people have died. They have died and been murdered For our parents to have the privilege to come here. Our parents didn't have to come here and then die for us to be able to be given same rights, to be able to be viewed as citizens, to be able to vote. That is just one aspect of how we today benefit from basically the lives of Black people. And that's only like in the past, like what? 50, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before then, if you if you want to talk about how America has benefited, like America at the time, if we were talking about being slavery, they were only able to force and grow as a new country because of slavery, because of the free labor. They profited off of that. You know, we're talking about like people being like, oh my God, it's so unfair, unpaid internships. I hear you. <laughs> but this is, you know what I mean? And then if that happened and you never were acknowledged for it, people took advantage of not only you, but your great grandkids and killed you, kept you in order, made you feel less than, made you feel dumb, and your blood, sweat, and literal tears went to directly benefiting them and their families so that they become super rich and that their kids are able to get even richer off of that. While you and your kids, no, sorry, stay in poverty, stay in the projects, continuously fear for your lives on a day-to-day basis, and then blame it all on you. That's just your fault. I recently had to explain that to my dad. I was livid. I was livid that conversation. I know Regina and I have like shared our own experience about like having these conversations because so much of this is like, okay, now go into the world and inform, start with your family. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. I had three days straight where I was like having screaming matches at home where we just could not see eye to eye. My parents were saying like, oh, you're brainwashed. And I'm like, but you guys are brainwashed as well. Mm -hmm. Like it just genuinely put me in such a foul mood. And, you know, Christine and I talk about like setting boundaries and all of that all the time. And I typically, I can manage my parents like pretty well, but that was one of the days where I was like, I truly, truly 
need to set this boundary because it is actually affecting my mental health. I was so down and discouraged and just, there were so many emotions. I honestly can't even begin to describe it, but like, I really had to put like a stopping point because I was like, we're really just not able to see eye to eye. And we're not able to talk about it in a healthy way where like, okay, I see your opinion, but here's mine. It ends up getting like really heated and angry and all of the feelings. And so I think that it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, look, let's just agree to disagree. What my parents kept saying is like, well, the future generation is for you guys and how you guys vote, how you guys do all those things. That's for your future, not ours anymore. So, you know, like she's kind of putting it on me. My dad said the same thing. I was just like, yeah, how can you just deflect responsibility? Oh my gosh. I'm in the middle of that where like drawing the boundaries. I've not talked to my dad like for the past week just (laughs) because I was so taken aback. Yeah. And overwhelmed, honestly. Like my family, we typically watch the news during dinner time and just to like catch up on, you know, what's going on in the world and staying informed and stuff like that. And for the last week or so, I mean, you know, obviously I'm also going through stuff with my family, but we've eaten with the TV off because I was like, can you please turn it off? Like I actually, I'm very, very overwhelmed. And I, you know, even took a break from social media and I was just like, I kind of need to step away from the situation because it started getting so intense of you're either with us or you're against us on both sides. Yeah. And it was getting so hostile from both sides. And that conflict was just making me feel so uneasy and anxious more than I had ever in my life. And I also understand that it is my privilege to be able to like walk away from it and be like, okay, I need a break from this because I know that a lot of Black people are unable to do that, that this is their daily life. This is their experience on the day-to-day basis. At this point in time, like I'm on the same boat as Christine, we're reading and watching and listening to these stories and really just checking our privilege and learning the history of all of these injustices and trying to put that into action. And I think that that is kind of where we're at with like our whole mentality of everything that's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you said something so poignant when we were talking offline earlier and you were like, you know, the otherness is so great in between that say what Black Lives Matter is fighting for and that's mm-hmm. say the other side, which includes mm-hmm. our parents, you know, people mm-hmm. like our parents too. And being able to find how to humanize all of this in the mm-hmm. middle, because that's really what it's about when you're talking about the thought of someone feeling like their lives doesn't matter, that we don't give a fuck. And no matter how hard they scream, and they've gotten to a point where they're allowed to scream because before Mm -hmm. they weren't, Mm -hmm. and then not being believed and not being accepted for just who they are. They have to either be in the system in terms of just, okay, let's not try to cause a ruckus. Let's just do what we're supposed to do so we don't die. You know what I mean? Like we don't play into the stereotypes that people are like, oh, you're... You're wild and out or like you're acting too much or that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing so that they can't blame it on anything else anymore. And when that doesn't work and people still don't believe you and people still discriminate against you, not only discriminate, but are so hateful and so mean that how can you not feel like you cannot breathe? You know what I mean? It's like for me, I'm getting so worked up about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
It's that quote that it's like, you know, I understand that I will never understand. Yeah. But we want to fight this fight with you guys. And, you know, to our parents' generation, like, obviously, they don't think it's right that George Floyd was murdered. And they themselves will admit, like, yes, the police officers murdered George Floyd. It's the bigger picture of what Black Lives Matters, the movement has become, that they almost feel like it's threatening almost, especially, you know, now with the defund the police movement, like Christine and I even had like several conversations about this where my parents are like, well, no, 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 no. Like we rely on the police. They protect us. They're there for us. Like, how can you defund that? Mm -hmm. When the reality of it is that obviously defund the police is a lot catchier than like, let's reallocate the resources elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that was a conversation that I've had to have with my friends as well, where it's like, it's not about just, you know, completely defunding the police and like, we're just not going to have police. It's reallocating those resources so that the police officers don't have to be put in those situations that they are not trained for. I think really seeing the statistics of the amount of hours that like a nail technician, the person who does your nails (laughs) at the salon, at the salon is double the amount of a police officer. That is insane. Yeah, I know. And they're asked to do a lot and not given the resources and how to properly handle it. Like this has been the history. This is why learning the history is so important because then you get to really look at what has worked and what hasn't worked. This is not working. Mm-hmm. To keep funding the police and giving them more gear, militarizing them with less training. And when it comes to situations like this, they're not taught to de-escalate. They're taught to just, in their sense, protect, right? But protect who? That's been the question because through the protesting, people are just, it's very obvious that you're not protecting the people when it comes down to it. They're protecting Mm -hmm. the system. Mm -hmm. So that's really what Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, okay, what hasn't worked is trying to fix the symptoms but not the actual problem. And the actual problems when police are called, actually, let's try funding and coming up with programs that directly help people in those states. So usually when the police are called, it's because of like domestic stuff. It's because of things that have to do, the root of the problem is with your mental health. There's a lot of reasons why the police get called and we can't put that all on the cops to fix the actual situation. Like it's just going to keep happening again, which is what ends up happening. And then when you have prior records of constantly having police escalate the situation and it ends with someone dying or getting murdered, then it's not obviously fixing the situation. So we have to try something else. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a lot of opinions and ways to go about this. But one of the immediate things that we can do is defunding the police because all of that money can go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, we always talk about we don't have money for education. Yeah. And education is one of the biggest ways that people lift themselves out, out of poverty. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that we'll get into and like what we can do now. I think when it comes to really understanding how to connect the otherness into together, that mm-hmm. is the biggest foundation in how we really embrace anti-racism mm-hmm. because when you see it as a collective thing as this is a human rights issue not a black issue not an asian issue or whatever it is whenever any type of group minority speaks about something it's like oh well that's not about me that's that's, that's an asian yeah. thing 
That's a black thing. Yeah. And then we just turn our ears off to it. And that's how things happen without us paying attention, right? Or ignoring it. But then what has been proven in America, very evidently through Trump, is that it has not gone away. And it comes with things like this, things that we can do, which is voting. I know everyone says voting. I will first readily admit that when it has come to voting, I have voted since I was, I think, since Mm -hmm. 18, I think I voted, that I never really did my research, (laughs) When it came to local elections, oh, yeah, that's no. even worse. <laughs> Honestly, I, I did not. I always waited to the last day because I just voted, you know, and I just went off of if you're Asian, mm-hmm. if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're Democrat. There was like a checklist. Yeah, the policies and the initiatives, are, I was like, I don't know. And honestly, the way that they present yeah. it, it could go either way, right? But I just yeah. didn't do the work. Now recognizing that actually is one of the reasons why we're here in the first place, because we don't know who we voted in. We don't know how, what they would do. We don't know if the DAs would prosecute, the judges will have a tendency to throw people in jail because of petty reasons. If like the mayors that we elect, like what type of initiatives that they're trying to do, who they're setting up for, what type of policies, what type of funding they're going to, mm-hmm. like none of that. Now it's taking responsibility It's not just right now saying, I'm going to vote. I'm going to register to vote. Okay, I've researched. I think I know everything I need to know or know most of it. I get the gist of it. No, it's an ongoing thing. And everything that we're going to list about what you can do is an ongoing commitment. Mm -hmm. And there is a balance between overwhelming yourself, which is what happened to me and Regina the first week. Yes. Where literally I could not get out of bed because it was just mentally, physically, and emotionally like done, done you know? But it's really being able to practice a lot of the things that we've talked about throughout Perfectly Imperfect, right? It's pacing, but it is a constant and consistent commitment to learn and educate. And that's how you fight. That's how you make a difference versus just all at once. And then when it really comes to it, like we said, it's not just one conversation. It's not just one vote. It's not just one book that you read. It's continuous because there's so much to learn and know and so much to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that during this time, as we continue to learn and grow and educate ourselves, I think it's good for us to continue to have these conversations with our peers and things like that too. Like I know that a lot of people have been putting the pressure to have these conversations with our parents as well. And what I think Christine and I have mutually agreed upon is that, yes, you can have these conversations, but also know when to stop. Because I think that it's for the sake of your own mental health. But, you know, what I've realized is too, like having these conversations with my friends, not just through texts or not just through links and articles that are being sent, like actually face to face. Well, we're in quarantine, so (laughs) FaceTime, really just sit and hash through your thoughts. I think that the week that I was so, so overwhelmed, I was just having all these text conversations with my friends, but one of my best friends like actually called me up and we FaceTimed and talked about it. And, you know, she shared with me what she learned. I shared with her what I learned. And it was just this mutually beneficial conversation that allowed me to even have like the confidence to do this episode today. Like, I think that even when we brought up this topic, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about it. I don't know how to talk about it. Oh, should we talk about it? Like, those were all questions that were running through my head because following the model minority myth, I realized how much I played into that and how much that was like such a real part of my everyday life that it really kind of struck a chord in me that was like, oh, well, we were quiet for so long and complicit in so many ways. And that's why we have not been good allies in this fight. 
And it's time to change that. It's time to really take a stand and own up to the responsibility. Like, yes, we may have, you know, benefited unknowingly or knowingly in the past, but that time has come for us to change and for us to really learn to stay informed and really fight with that togetherness that we keep talking about throughout this episode. Yeah, honestly. And it's time to break the cycle. Mm -hmm. And you break the cycle by stepping outside of your comfort zone. And a lot of this, this is what it means to fight and to put in the work. It's not going to be easy. And I think a lot of this is just for us, kind of like the beginning stages, right? The people that just like, quote unquote, newly awakened to all of this. It's new to us, but as we continue doing the work and moving forward, educating ourselves, sharing with one another, being honest and real, not being afraid to ask questions, Mm -hmm. being considerate of that. So I know there's a lot of talk of like, you know, putting our emotions and all these questions and wanting to help with good intentions on the Black community. But you have to understand that they've been fighting for this for so long. You know, I can understand how exhausted they're feeling and they're obviously still fighting, right? And this is all information that is easily Googleable. Googleable. I just made that a word. There's plenty <laughs> of information out there right now that we can put in the work ourselves. I made this comparison to Jack and actually I was telling Jack and Regina about this, where it's like, in a sense, We're like the ex that has cheated and then we're just like, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. We'll never do it again. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. I won't do it again. But really the whole point is if I have to tell you what to do, then you're not getting the point. Mm -hmm. You putting the work and then proving it. You have to prove it through time and through your actions. Mm -hmm. A lot of this, just like that example, we have to face and own up to our own pains, demons, and fears. I think this is why it was easier just not to confront it. Stuff like if I see a Black man, especially at night, I cross the street. Or I did. Mm -hmm. And it actually was a couple years ago that I started to notice this. And I really had to check myself because I immediately was judging that seeing that man as a stereotype versus him as a person. Mm -hmm. And these are things that society has taught us. And I think that too, what part of this process of like educating ourselves is unlearning a lot of the lessons that were maybe not directly told to us, but like, I don't know what would be the proper term to use it besides like microaggression, where it's like not necessarily directly like, Hey, you know, these are things that you need to look out for, but it's like, it's society slowly, slowly brainwashing us. And yeah, and don't go to the bad parts us. of this neighborhood, yeah. right? Because that's where a lot of black people are mm-hmm. or like, don't bring home a black person, like try not to hang out with them. Just say no drugs, all these things that are associated that is not just from one source. That's mm-hmm. the thing. That's why this is such a systemic issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how else mm-hmm. to say that because mm-hmm. it's just, it's everywhere. It is literally the air that we breathe. So now having to face that is one thing and then doing something about it. And this is the part where, you know, I thought about it this way, where I know everyone just feels like, oh man, just kind of have to tackle it all. We have to you know, have the conversations with our friends, have to speak up at work, read, post, and go protest and all these things. And if you're not doing it this way, then you're doing it wrong and mm-hmm. you're still a racist, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of things that we still, like Regina said, we have to unlearn. But these are the ways that we actually will learn how to do and while we break the cycle, as in, as we learn more from other people, let's say just if we want to have these conversations with our parents or with our inner circle, but so far what we're doing isn't really working. 
that's where you see people are sharing resources and then translating things, right? They're mm-hmm. trying to connect the dots of how do you humanize this for, let's say, our parents who really cannot get over the fact that, no, this is separate from us. This has nothing to do with us. Just stay out of it. Mm-hmm. And those are things that through multiple conversations and through like strategy and really talking it out, we'll find better ways of connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. But we have to keep at it. Something that I was thinking too is that this is a really great way for wherever you are to not discount the influence that you have. So, you know, don't take for granted the position that you're in. And some things that we may not even think about, we can absolutely do something about in that area. So, for example, you know, if you're in film and you're a filmmaker, help make realistic stories help amplify voices and stories that have not been told or being told the right way. Or if you're a graphic designer, you can make infographics. There's so many on social media now that help break up policies and information and news that help people understand it better. Mm-hmm. I think that's been a really big tool throughout this For whole process. Us, yeah. yeah. And it's because a lot of these policies and laws and the reason why we don't pay attention before, because it's just a lot, you know, and they use language that is so, it's just a lot and it's boring. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's structured that way so that we tune out. Yeah. But, you know, when people who are in law or who do study public policy are able to kind of bridge the gap Mm -hmm. for the general public, Mm -hmm. that's such a service, you know, that helps so much. Or even a corporate job, or now you can have these conversations with your coworkers or your higher ups. Or if you notice that there's been inequalities, you can start making initiatives and really fight for that for things that have just been unjust at your company, which is stuff that's been coming out now. Mm-hmm. You know, you see it all mm-hmm. the times in the news mm-hmm. where big brands, big corporations, like people are speaking out now, and they have finally the people on their side versus mm-hmm. kind of just yelling into kind of thin Be air and no one yeah, yeah no one's listening no one cares so being able to hold people accountable is such a power that we have right now i know that gets into council culture which like you know regina was talking to me about earlier maybe we'll do an episode about that because mm-hmm. i know this episode there's just so much to unpack yeah but even you students out there whether it's high school whether it's college, I mean, even middle school, you know, wherever you are, join organizations, expand your social circle, diversify. That's something I noticed within myself that growing up in 626, not that it's an excuse, but I just kept to this bubble. Mm-hmm. I always gravitated towards Asian people because I always just yeah. felt like, yeah, you know, um, we, we know each other, we get it, you know, but I never really went out of my way, even when I was in a situation that I could have to open up and just be like, hi, I'm Christine you're not Asian, <laughs> let me just connect mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. if they'll think that I'm weird or that I'm trying to be black or I'm trying to impose on their world. It's like, no, if you think of it that way, then you're not thinking of them as human beings, mm-hmm. each with their own individual complex opinions and personalities, stories and lives. And that's how what we all want at the end of the day, right? To be seen mm-hmm. as a complete human being and not have to keep proving that to people. I could only imagine having to live that way where you're like a second class citizen, basically, and you're not seen, you're invisible in a way, and only highlighted in your quote unquote worst qualities that people have imposed on you and made stereotypes and fear for your life and your family's life. So that is our human experience that we must fight for together. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds really corny and cliche, but <laughs> I think that. Even though Black Lives Matter, these protests have been happening since 2014 and this issue has been prevalent for many, many more years than that. I do feel a shift this time around. Like I do think that 
this time around, like everybody is taking the initiative to learn. And, you know, I was just telling Christine before we started recording how impressed I am with Gen Z and how like woke, I guess they are and how they try to stay informed and how they have such a clear understanding of their own identities, which are things that Christine and I didn't really even begin to comprehend until our 20s and probably for me well into my 30s and for her into her 30s. But I think that it is nice to see that there is this new generational power. Like I think that as kids growing up, we were always like, oh, our parents, they're the adults, you know, they're the ones who are the responsible ones. And we kind of put it on them. But actually right now it's turning. We're now that generation that can make a difference. And, you know, as stressful as it was to kind of see all of those things happening in the past couple of weeks, I do believe that change is coming. Like there are already laws that are now being passed, like Brianna's law, which I believe like police officers aren't allowed to just break into houses unannounced. And, you know, in Minnesota now, I believe that it's illegal for a cop to hold someone in chokehold. Like change is happening and it's going to take a minute, especially to undo all of these hundreds of thousands of years of injustices. But I do think that there is hope at the end of the tunnel and like we do need to maintain onto that hope. And if any of you guys are starting to feel just overwhelmed and, you know, there is no light at the end of the tunnel, it's just darkness. Like I encourage you guys to take a break, take a step back because this is going to be a long fight and we need all of you guys mentally well and prepared to continue to make these changes. I know that Christine and I have had to take breaks and things like that. So as much as you try to stay informed, make sure you have that balance of taking care of yourself. And yeah, I also feel like this has been a very, very heavy topic, but I always feel so much lighter talking about it because Mm -hmm. I think we also harbor in a lot of feelings, especially now that we lack a lot of the social connection that we used to have of seeing people and having conversations. Like, I think that it is good and healthy to have these conversations, know when to take a break, but know when you're ready to go back in and continue fighting. Yeah, so well said. I was reading a quote where it's like, you can't raise a generation on Harry Potter and Avengers and expect them not to fight, you know, or something like that. And it's really, yeah, yeah, fight for social justice, fight for what's right, fight for what you know is right. Even if your parents Mm -hmm. disagree or people disagree, know what is right as a human being and do whatever you can to fight for that. And it's going to look different for each person. And that's okay. I think that's the part where, you know, let's not guilt each other for not doing it our way or the Mm -hmm. right way. I think everyone has a process and even learning and everything takes time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as long as you do it genuinely and really educated as to why you feel this way and also feel the need to fight for justice, what the injustice even really is, you know? Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. starts with ourselves. That's really what it is because you can't go around telling other people or trying to like change the world when you yourself are not aware of your own blind spots. And that's an ongoing process and that's okay. And I think this is Mm -hmm. why it's important to have these ongoing conversations and not expect to be perfect. Because I know that's, I'll speak for me and being Asian, Mm -hmm. that's really what we're brought up on, right? Mm -hmm. So we're scared to speak up because we don't want to make a mistake. And we were always taught to just stay out of politics. It doesn't concern us. Yeah, but I think that's the part where I've been implementing 
and just be teachable, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever discomfort that we feel, that just means growth. And that's where I totally agree with Regina. Like, there's so much growth to be done. And if we can do it collectively, then you're not alone in it. And that takes off a big, Mm -hmm. heavy burden. So, yeah, thank you so much for sticking with us Mm -hmm. through this conversation. And, you know, I really do hope to expand more of these conversations with you guys. I know we talked about having like a Zoom or Google Hangout so that we can hear directly from you guys and have these conversations to encourage how we can learn from one another. Mm -hmm. So with that said, we miss you guys so much. We hope that you guys are staying safe and you know take care of yourselves take care of your families and we will talk to you soon bye bye